Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Well, like I said, baby dedications are one of the real joys that I have of being a pastor. And, you know, as I think about these kids and I think about their future, the thing that, uh, one of the things that occurs to me is that as they grow up, they're not all going to grow up to be the same size, are they? Or the same height or the same weight. Um, And in fact, they won't even grow at the same pace. Um, And you can't really say that they will just grow at two inches per year until they're 18 and then they'll stop. Plus, if they did that, they would still be pretty short. Um, But uh, actually, our our daughter Emma, uh, like I said, was was one of the parents up here. She actually grew really fast. Uh, By the time she was in kindergarten, she pretty much towered over all of the other kids. And it also didn't help that she tended to make very small friends as well. And, uh, and so she always looked like she was so much taller than everyone. And so we thought she was going to be really tall. And so in sixth grade, we enrolled her in the, on the, or we, we put her on the volleyball team for her middle school. And uh, she was still very tall at that time. And, and she actually did pretty well. And I think she liked, you kind of liked volleyball, didn't you? I think she enjoyed it. But, but we just thought that she was going to keep growing and she was going to end up being tall. And so I had, I had visions of her, you know, in the Olympics, spiking volleyballs and other people's faces and, and all of that. But after sixth grade, she pretty much stopped growing. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, my hopes of her playing volleyball in the Olympics were dashed. I don't know that she was necessarily that, uh, was, was that disappointed. And, uh, and she's managed to eke out a pretty good life as an average uh, height woman. Uh, but, but all that to say, her growth was not smooth and steady. And I'm sure that you guys hear stories like that. Maybe if you have kids that, that have grown up, uh, you've had that same sort of thing happen. And, and that's the way growth happens. And not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually as well. In fact, there are many ways in which physical growth and spiritual growth are very similar. Now, this doesn't necessarily apply to physical height, but when it comes to things like strength and endurance, what we find is is that most of the growth that we experience in our lives happens as the result of harsh conditions. Have you, have you noticed that before? Uh, for instance, physically, if you want to get stronger, how do you do it? Well, you have to lift weights. You have to exert yourself. Okay? When you lift weights, you're actually putting stress on your muscles, and you're pushing them beyond what is just normal use. And, and so we all know that if you want to grow stronger, you have to do something like that. You have to exert yourself. Okay? Now, the physiology of mus- muscle growth is very simple, but I actually found it, find it really fascinating. Uh, if any of you know anything about muscle growth is you know that mus- your muscles actually don't grow while you're lifting weights, right? They, they actually grow afterwards. They grow while you're recuperating. Because when you lift weights, here's what actually happens, is the tiny fibers of your muscles actually tear. Um, and, they, uh, and they create, you know, little 
I don't know, holes, I guess, but little tears in your muscles. In a way, when you lift weights, you're actually damaging your muscles. And then when you're resting, if your body has the proper nutrients, then your body sends proteins, which scientists call the building blocks of life, to fill and to repair those tears, making them bigger and stronger than they were before, right? It's kind of a fascinating thing when you think about it. Now, of course, we're not here to talk about physical growth. We're here to talk about spiritual growth. But I want you to keep that picture in mind of how muscles grow because I think that something similar happens when it comes to spiritual growth as well. I want you to think back through your life in times when you have made the most spiritual progress. They've probably have been through difficult times. It's probably been through times of questions and doubts times of struggle and anxiety where you were stretched beyond where you felt you could handle. Maybe times when you felt like the fibers of your faith or the fibers of your spirit or fibers of your relationships or your marriage were starting to tear apart. And what I want you to see today is that this is not abnormal. This is actually the way God designed life to work. Now, I don't know why that is. I would prefer smooth and easy growth. But the Bible and our life experience tells us that spiritual growth happens during times and events that we would prefer not to go through. Now, I'm not sure if there have been many years who, that, that fit the description better than the year that we have just been through. Am I right? You guys feeling that a little bit? Um, we've been going through some pretty hard times as individuals, as a country, as a world. Of course, you know, we've had a global pandemic that's resulted in millions of deaths around the world. And maybe some of you have had loved ones who have either gotten sick or have, have died from it. We have racial and civil unrest in our city and in our country. We've had a contentious election, a lagging economy, and uh, even kids who are having a hard time with, with uh, distance learning. And, and I'm sure that you could add to that list, not just things that everyone is going through, but personal things as well, personal struggles. And I know that everybody has experienced it differently. Some people have been okay. Some of you have loved working from home. And for, for many of you, that's your new reality. You get to, you get to work from home. Uh, and, and for a lot of you, that's the silver line lining. But I also know that this general disruption has been hard on a lot of lives. And, and we don't know the long-term impact of this past year. But in the moment, there are some common things that we're seeing in our country. One is an increasing feeling of isolation that, that people have. Uh, there are also many people who report living in fear, fear that we're always going to have to live this way, fear of an unknown future, fear of the social unrest in our country. Um, and then in addition to that, all of the normal fears of life for our health, for our job, financial situation, for our kids, for our parents, all of those things. Counselors also report that there's been a big increase in things like anxiety over the past year. And this is one that I've felt personally. And on top of that, there's a whole lot of confusion about what is right and good and wrong and what we ought to be doing. And, and there's so much information in the media these days, and it's hard to know what to believe from outlets that seem to favor one political persuasion over the other. We have social media, we have news and fake news, and, and for a lot of people, it makes them want to throw up their hands in despair. Now, all of these things are things that existed before 2020, but in many ways, the pandemic has brought a lot of them to light. Uh, 
And I don't think I need to belabor, belabor the point by uh, pointing out any statistics. But the point is, is that at this moment in time, we are looking forward to putting it all in our rearview mirror, aren't we? I mean, many of us, we were talking, uh, I was talking with a few people beforehand that had just been vaccinated, and they were like, man, it, it feels so good because I feel like we can start to get this in our rearview mirror. But before we start to put it in our rearview mirror, I want to make sure that we don't waste the moment. Here's what I mean. This last year, whether it's in society or in our personal lives, has been making small tears in our lives, individually, as families, as a church, as a society, as a whole. Okay, but here's the thing. All of the disruption of the past year has also presented us with an opportunity to be able to come out of it stronger and better than we were before. I mean, there have been a lot of habits that have been disrupted or you've taken on some new habits that actually are, are good things. We have the opportunity to see where those tears are and to fill them with the building blocks of life in Christ. In fact, that's the way growth works, isn't it? We talked about this, okay? You've been through the workout over this past year and now we are recuperating and we have the opportunity now to build spiritual muscle. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, Tiffany earlier read a passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read it again to refresh your memory. I don't know if you brought a Bible or if you have a phone with a Bible app. Uh, but if you're not there, we're going to walk through it so you can follow along. So turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then talk through it and see kind of what this tells us about spiritual recuperation. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right. Now, uh, first thing I want you to see is, is this progression that we have from grace as the foundation to hope as the goal. From grace to hope. And this is the key, actually, to building some spiritual muscle. Right? So let's start again with verse 1. This is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now this passage is very critical because this is the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about. And it's a pretty complicated sentence. The Apostle Paul tends to do that in his writing. So let me translate it for you. Let me kind of uh, simplify it for you. This is what he is saying. He's saying, Jesus is the proof that God loves you and accepts you. That's it. Okay. Now many of us in fact, maybe most of us are tempted to look for the proof that God loves us in our outward circumstances. And so when things are going well, that's when we know that God loves us or we get this feeling. You know, when we get the job, when we're healthy, when the weather is good, then it's easy for us to believe that God loves us. But it's when we're going through hard times that it becomes a little bit less believable or some of us start to, to doubt that. We start to wonder where God is. 
If God loves me so much, then why am I having a hard time paying my rent? Why did I lose someone I love? If God loves me so much, why does it seem like things just never go my way? And for many of us, it's that. It's our outward circumstances that are the sign that God loves us and is for us. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. Bad things happen to everyone. That's just, the, that's just the way life is, okay? Being a good person is no guarantee that things are going to go your way in life. And so if the only proof that we have that God is good is that circumstances go our way, we are bound to be disappointed. In fact, a God who only allows good things is a fictional God. He's a God that we made up. And it's not the God of the Bible either. The God of the Bible very clearly says, in fact, Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble. And he's talking to his followers there, his faithful followers. He also says in, uh, in the book of Matthew, he says that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay? And so if that's the case, then how can we know that God is real and that God cares for us? And Paul's answer here is, is that Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus is the proof that God knows us and he cares about us, okay? And there, there are three things. First of all, Jesus said so, right? Uh, he, he said so. He said that God loves us. The second way that he does that is, is that he himself suffered. All throughout his life, he willingly suffered and even went to the cross. Suffered, suffered in a way that many of us, probably most of us, never will. And he did this, of course, so that we could be forgiven. Uh, but he also did this so that he can identify with us. Because God didn't just sit up in heaven and watch us suffer, but he actually came down and he suffered with us. And so what that means is, is that there must be some kind of purpose. There must be some sort, of, uh, some sort of good that happens even through our suffering. And the third thing is, is that he was raised again on the third day, proving that what he said and what he did was true. Okay? So in summary, how do we know that God loves us and accepts us? Well, Jesus said it. He suffered himself and he was raised again. Okay, and this is what the apostle calls grace. And we see that in verse 2. Okay, and it's this grace that's the foundation that we build on. It starts with the grace of God. And we have to start there because without that foundation, when suffering comes, we'll start to deviate from that path. Okay, but building spiritual muscle has to start with this conviction that God is for us and not against us. Okay? And when we're building this spiritual muscle, we're not doing it in order to earn God's favor. We do it because we already have it, because we're already confident that God loves us. All right, then he takes us to the goal in verse 2, and I already mentioned this a little earlier. The New, New Living Translation says it this way, We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Okay, so we go from hope to glory, from grace to to glory. Now, I, I know what there are probably some people who are thinking, well, what in the world does that mean, to share in God's glory? Now, there are some people who will say, well, of course, what that means is heaven, right? That, that someday after this life, we're going to go to heaven and then we will experience the glory of God. And I think you could, certainly, uh, you could certainly make a case that this is what the Apostle Paul was saying, that certainly eternity will be a glorious thing. Okay, and so what he could be saying here is that we are not putting all of our hope in this life. Okay? In fact, those who don't believe that there's something after this life, 
need to enjoy this life while they can, right? Because otherwise, what's the whole point of this, okay? If your ultimate hope is not beyond this life, then you have to get every ounce of enjoyment out of this life, or at least stay relatively comfortable, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and if you don't, then, you know, life is not going to be full. But if your ultimate hope is not based in this life, then it frees you to be able to suffer in this life because you know that this life is not the end, okay? But I don't think it's just that. When Paul talks about the glory of God, I actually think he's talking about something more than that as well. Over the past few months um, in our worship services, we've talked about the fact that, uh, that God, when he created human beings, created us unique from the rest of creation. Um, and the biblical term for this is that he made us in the image of God. And we've talked some about what that means. Uh, it means that you are created to reflect your creator and to work for the flourishing of the world. Now, we call it being made in the image of God. The Apostle Paul calls this the glory of God. And so we see in, in uh, Romans 3.23, for instance, uh, another passage that in, this, uh, in this book that the Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, what he's saying is, is that when we sin, we are not what we were created to be. We're falling short of this glory of God that he created for us. Okay? So then follow what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we can look forward to the day when we become everything God created us to be. Okay? And, and we're not there yet. There is some work that God has to do in each one of us. I know at least in me that's the case. Maybe some of you are there, uh, but I'm not there yet. But what he says is, is that as God works, we will increasingly reflect the glory of God. So that's the goal. We go from the grace of God to the glory of God up here. Okay? And then he goes on to tell us the role that suffering and hardship play in this process okay start with the foundation of God's grace and acceptance and when we have that then we know that that hard times are not the evidence that God has abandoned us and we're secure and we're confident in that that one day we will reflect the glory of God and then he says in verse 3 he says we even glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance suffering produces perseverance now, this probably is not much of a surprise to many of you, but I do need to qualify it. You see, suffering does not automatically produce perseverance. You know that, right? It's, it's not an automatic thing. It, you know, depending on how we respond, suffering actually can pr produce lots of other things. It can produce anger. It can produce fear. It can produce addiction. In fact, addiction is oftentimes just a way for us to escape suffering. But of course, when we do that, when we try to escape suffering, we miss out on the actual benefit that we can have when we go through hard times. And of course, suffering can also produce despair. Okay? So here's what we need to know, is that suffering doesn't automatically produce perseverance, but perseverance can only come through suffering. Okay? You realize that, right? Perseverance can only come through suffering. How many of you would like to develop more perseverance? Okay, I, I think there are other words for that these days. Uh, grit. Um, you know. So how many of you would really like to develop more perseverance and grit in your life? Yeah, me too. Well, I hate to tell you this, but the only way you can have it is by enduring suffering. Okay? Staring it in the face and refusing to allow it to turn into anger or fear or addiction or despair. Okay? Now, by the way, we started 
this uh, with, uh, with a child dedication. If you're a parent and you want your kids to learn, uh, to learn perseverance, then you're going to have to be willing to allow them to endure suffering. And that's one of the hardest things about parenting. We want to rescue them. We want to keep them safe from that. But actually, you need to allow them to experience some suffering when you are there to guide them through it. And you can kind of soften the blow. Because if we freak out and we rescue them every time they experience some suffering, then they will only learn to give up. They won't learn perseverance. But suffering produces perseverance if we let it do so. All right, now here's the next step the the Apostle Paul talks about. It's in verse 4. He writes this. He says, perseverance produces character. Okay, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. So what is character? Well, some people might say that character is just doing the right thing. And that's partially right. But actually, character is something more than that. Here's here's a simple definition of character. And and I'm talking especially about good character, because you can have bad character as well, right? But I'm talking about good character. Good character is when doing the right thing is second nature. It's when doing the right thing is second nature. And here's what I mean. How many of you have seen the movie Sully? Have you seen it? Or um, you've heard of Sully Sullenberger, right? Okay, the... Uh, landing on the Hudson River and all of that. All right, you don't have to, you don't have, to have seen the movie to, uh, to know what I'm talking about here. In fact, I'll explain it a little bit. But, but um, he was the pilot. On, on January 15th of 2009, he was the pilot of the U.S. Airways flight from LaGuardia um, in New York City to Charlotte, North Carolina. And he had flown, actually, from 1969 to 1980 in the Air Force. Uh, and when he retired from the Air Force in 1980, he became a pilot for U.S. Airline, Airways, and, uh, and he logged more than 20,000 hours of flight time. Okay, Malcolm Gladwell says if you spend 10,000 hours doing anything, you become an expert. Uh, so he was an expert a couple of times over. And this, of course, proved to be valuable uh, on this day because only two minutes after takeoff, the plane ran into a big flock of geese and it actually damaged both engines there. And what made the situation even more tense was that they were flying over the Bronx, which is the most, one of the most densely populated parts of New York City. Uh, and so Sully and his co-pilot had to make a staggering number of split-second decisions just in a very short amount of time if they were to save not only the 155 people on board, but also who knows how many people on the ground. And you probably know how the story turns out. Somehow they managed to, to land the plane upright in the Hudson River and get all 155 people out safely. Uh, now, when the headlines came out, the, the headlines were something like this. They called it the miracle on the Hudson, right? Now, I hope you don't think less of me because of this, but you know what? I don't believe this was a miracle. I really don't. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't have his hand over the situation, but I don't believe it was a miracle because I believe that the captain was able to land that plane safely and save all 105 people on board because he had studied faithfully. He had relentlessly honed his craft. He had logged more than 20,000 hours and had been through countless small trials throughout the years so that when the time came 
for an event like this that could mean the death or the life of hundreds of human beings, he was prepared for it. God had given him everything that he needed in order to be a pilot, but over the years he had taken his natural God-given ability and had developed it so that when the time of crisis came, he didn't have to pull out a flight manual and wonder what to do, right? It just came naturally for him. Flying was second nature to him. This is what Christian character is. In fact, I would say that this is what it means to reflect the glory of God, to be what God made you to be. And when you are, you don't have to think about how to handle hardship or struggle because you already know inside, because it's deep inside of you. Paul says that suffering leads to perseverance and, and perseverance, doing the right thing over and over and over again builds character. Suffering gives you the opportunity to develop character. Now, it might be good for just a moment to identify, well, what does it mean to have Christian character? What are, what are some godly character traits? Uh, just so we can know what we're talking about. And, and I don't think I've ever seen an exhaustive list. I'm sure we could, you know, if I asked each of you, you could probably all come up with, with a different one. But they're not that hard to figure out. It probably starts with something like humility, integrity, trustworthiness, courage. Maybe things like love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those, I think, are a pretty good start. And in fact, I would even say that perseverance itself is a, uh, is a Christian character trait. And I'm sure that there are many character traits that are your favorite that I missed out on, but I think you get the idea. Uh, what I want you to see here is that trials actually help us to build strength of character so that not only can we stand strong when times of trial come, but we can actually help carry other people through times of trial as well. Okay? We build strength not just for ourselves, but for others, for our spouse, for our children, for the people around us, for our neighbors, for our friends, okay? So how do we allow perseverance to develop character rather than things like anger, fear, addiction, or despair? Well, I think the Apostle Paul actually addresses this at least a little bit in, in Philippians 4, 9. Now, the book of Philippians, if you've read through it, is an incredibly emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy look at suffering. It's just really an incredible book that I would highly recommend. But in chapter 4, verse 9, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Okay? And so he encourages us. Uh, so he encourages here what we might call Christian character traits, and he tells us how we go about getting them in the next verse. And this is what he says. He actually says three things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so he talks about three facets of developing character. The first one is learning or actually listening. That's the active part of learning. Okay, we need to know the end for which God created us. And so we look to scripture to, to see what God says about the kind of people that he's calling us to be. So that's the first part. We, we learn it in our head. We have to have that knowledge in our head. But it actually goes beyond that. The second facet is imitation. 
Okay? Again, this should not be a big surprise. In fact, imitation is the primary way that, that we learn, starting with when we're kids, but even when we're adults as well. So my grandson, Mateo, who is back there in the back, and, uh, and I got to dedicate a little bit earlier, uh, he started waving almost from the time he could control his hands. And, uh, and, and so I was thinking, well, why did he start waving? Well, the reason is, is because we were constantly waving at him, right? And, uh, and so he saw us waving, and so he's like, hey, I've got those things. I've got hands too, and so I can start to wave my hands. He didn't even know why he was waving, but he was just imitating us. He didn't know the purpose of it or anything, and someday he'll, he'll know what the purpose of waving is. He probably even knows it right now. Okay? But he started out learning it by imitating us, even though he didn't know why. Okay? And actually, you know, psychologists tell us that for most of us, this is how we learn, is we start by imitating the people that we most want to be like. And so, uh, you know, this is why we have uh, started to work on ways to facilitate relationships in our church across generational lines. Okay, so kids and youth can see and know godly men and women as they go through hard times, as they go through good times, as they see grace and character modeled in their lives. And that's why it's important for you to be careful how you live and how you respond to life circumstances because it doesn't matter what you tell kids if you're modeling something different. Okay? They will learn what you are living. Okay? But even if you're a grown-up, we still learn by imitating. Okay? That's why the writer of Hebrews says this even about mature believers. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay? Uh, theologian Jim Wilder says, our character is formed by imitating those to whom we are attached. Okay? And so we find Christian role models, people that we want to be like, and we watch them operate under pressure under stress and trials. And if there is a whole community of people like that, then we will become more like them. Okay? So that's the second part. We imitate. The third facet is, uh, is that we have to put what we learn into practice. We have to put what we learn into practice. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, all right, this is kind of circular reasoning, right? So what you're telling me is, is that I need to learn character, and the way I learn character is by practicing character. Exactly. <laughs> Here's an example. Okay, I'm a, you, you guys know that I'm a basketball fan. Steph Curry, uh, currently playing probably the best shooter in the history of basketball. Not just, I mean, he, man, he is just lights out. And how did he learn to shoot? By practicing over and over and over. He went in a gym by himself and he shot. Now, he, actually, imitation too. His dad, Del Curry, was a pretty darn good shooter himself years ago. And, uh, but, but he went into a gym and shot over and over and over, thousands and thousands and thousands. And so he learned how to shoot by shooting, right? And so now when he gets into the stress of an NBA game and he's 30 feet from the basket and there's a seven-foot guy running out at him, he can just release it and just swish, swish, swish. Absolutely amazing. And the way he did that was by practice. He doesn't even have to think about it now. In fact, the more you think about it, the worse shooting you'll, you'll do, okay? It has to be automatic. It has to be second nature to you. And that's why for those of us who want to live a Christian life is, is uh, daily faithfulness in the small things. It's why it's so important 
for us day to day just to live faithfully. It's easy to think that cutting corners um, and, uh, and taking the easy way out is no big deal. And, and the truth of the matter is, is it might not be damaging just in that one small moment there. It might not be that big of a deal. But you have to remember that you are always practicing. Okay? You're always developing your character one way or another. And not only that, but you're modeling it for the next generation. And so those small moments add up to big impact. All right, so let's wrap this up. And some of you are probably getting cold, right? Paul says in verse 4, he says that it's character then that gives us hope. Okay, now think about it. We can either put our hope in the idea that all of our circumstances will go the way we want in the future. Of course, we already know that that's a losing proposition, right? Or we can develop character so that when hard times come, we can endure it with strength and with joy. Right? So finally, Paul writes this about hope in verse 5. He says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Right? This verse here is Paul's guarantee that when we get to the point of Christ-like character, even in the middle of hard times, we will be able to know and experience the love of God. That we'll be able to exude strength and grace no matter what life throws at us. Okay? Have you ever known someone who is like that? that? That you've seen them struggle through some incredibly hard times and they do it with such peace and with such grace that you look at them and you go, I have no idea how you even live that way. You know, you're just flabbergasted about it. How can they have so much peace? Well, I would be willing to bet that the answer is, is that in those times that they know the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. See, godly character, the way the Bible talks about it, allows us to experience the presence of God and his love. And when we have it, then we are less likely to be fearful of our outward circumstances and more secure in God's presence with us. You see, when suffering tears at the fibers of our spirit, it's not just godly character, but it's actually the very presence of God that comes in and heals us and strengthens us. And we can know that God is doing his work because as we experience trials and hardship, rather than being filled with anger or fear or addiction or despair, we're actually filled with things like joy and love. And we're not preoccupied with our own well-being, okay? but we're able to, to seek the good of others, even in the middle of our trials. We know that God is looking out for us, and so we don't have to. We can actually turn our attention to others. And so as we close here today, I want you to do some personal reflection. This last season has torn at the fabric of many of our lives. But I actually believe that in this coming season, not only does God want to heal us, and to get us past it, but he wants, us to, he wants to grow us stronger than we were before. But in order to do that, we have to go back and we have to see those places where God wants to heal and strengthen our lives. It might be making the decision to trust Jesus for the very first time, or maybe to re-engage a faith that you lost a long time ago. Maybe that's the step that you need to take. It might be that he wants you to move from fear or anger to a hopeful outlook, knowing that God goes with you into the future. 
It might be to repair or strengthen a family relationship or a marriage. I don't know what it is for you, but I suspect that there is probably something that God will bring to mind for you where he says, this is something that I want to do in you. This is the character that I want to develop in you. This is the change that, that you need to make that will actually allow you to be able to see me clearly, even in times of suffering. And so I'm just going to give you a, a, couple of, a couple of minutes here in, the, uh, in nature uh, for you just to pray and just to ask God to reveal to you what is it that he wants to build in you. been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve Him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.